Welcome to the Nopalera podcast, a place where I share the journey of building my company from the ground up, as well as the stories of others in our community. I am your host, Sandra Velasquez, founder of Nopalera, a culture-forward brand that celebrates and elevates culture. Aside from making great products, we are cultural storytellers with a mission to inspire our community to stand in their worth. In this podcast, you will hear a mix of solo and guest episodes around the entrepreneurial realities of building a company. I launched Nopalera from my Brooklyn apartment with no outside funding while working three jobs, raising my child in the middle of the pandemic at the age of 44. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope it inspires you to live boldly. Taylor Bryant is a writer and editor for Beauty Independent, a trade publication that covers primarily indie beauty brands and general happenings within the industry. It's my personal favorite. They put out so much content, I don't actually know how they do it. Taylor mostly covers BIPOC founders, the struggles they face, their accomplishments and wins, and the white spaces they're filling, along with topics around sustainability. Prior to Beauty Independent, she worked full-time for Nylon, Refinery29, and freelanced at pretty much every magazine you've heard of. It's so important for founders to hear what's happening in the industry from the other side. People like Taylor hear everyone's stories. And so it's so important to hear what she has seen in the industry to contextualize your experience. Hey, Taylor, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive in because as I was just chatting with you before we started, I'm always on the side of getting interviewed and being asked questions about my story and why did I launch my brand and all of the reasons why. And you are the writer and you're always the person that's telling the stories of people like myself. But I'd love to flip the script today and hear the Taylor Bryan story. So what is the Taylor Bryan story? Sure. Well... I guess you can start like how I got interested in journalism. I went to Syracuse University. I went in undeclared, had no idea what I wanted to do. Syracuse has a really good journalism program. I didn't even know that going into school. My roommate, my freshman year roommate actually was interested in transferring in. And so she piqued my interest in communications, journalism, they have public relations, television, radio, and film. They have like a wide scope of topics that you can study. And so I went into it interested in that, piggybacking off of her interest. And I also actually went to a talk with an editor from Cosmo. Her name was Zandalay Blay. I remember it very specifically. She was a fashion editor at Cosmo. She was a Black woman. And she spoke about how her career, what she does, how she got into it. And I've always been very interested in magazines, fashion, that whole media world, blogging world at the time. And so I was like, let me take a shot at applying to the school. And I got in and majored in magazine journalism. It's very specific there. And so during my college years, I interned at various fashion publications. I was very gung-ho about doing fashion. Beauty wasn't even really on my radar at all. I did internships at New York Magazine, L, well, L Girl at the time, which isn't around anymore, Self Magazine, ran the gamut, realized fashion was not for me. And I kind of fell into beauty. My first job outside of school was at Refinery29. A friend of a friend actually put in a good word. 
a girl that I went to high school with and we were just talking about the struggles of finding a job. And she was like, Oh, I know someone at refinery 29 you're interested. Um, and they were hiring a beauty production assistant at the time. So that actually involved very little writing. It was building stories in the back end in the CMS. So in their WordPress, tagging pictures, doing social media posts. And then eventually I started writing more and writing news stories, feature stories, I was at Refinery for about two years as a beauty production assistant and then eventually the beauty news editor. I moved on to Nylon after that. While I loved beauty, I kind of wanted to take a look at other categories, other subject matters. So at Nylon, I was the web editor there. So I wrote about beauty, but also about fashion, books, politics, Music, obviously nylon is very music heavy, entertainment, social media trends, really everything and anything that you can write about I did there. And so I was at nylon for about two years. Again, I have like a two year kind of uh, maximum, (laughs) I'm realizing over time, but I wanted to try my hand at freelancing after nylon. And so I quit my job and actually moved to London for six months where I started my freelance journey. And during that time, I was connected with Rachel Brown from Beauty Independent, from one of my old boss at Refinery, used to work with her at Women's Wear. And they were looking for someone to cover UK launches, like brands that were launching in London. And so I did that for them. That was really the bulk of my freelance writing. That was the most steady, I guess, client that I had was Speedy Independent. And so I wrote for them for about two years prior to coming on board full time with them in April 2021. Yeah, so it's been two years since I've been with BI and I love it. It's great. A lot of my prior experience has been obviously consumer facing. So writing more about products and what they do and if they actually work. And BI is less about that. It's more about who's behind the products, who is pitting out these products, what's the story behind them. And then obviously the retail and investment and all the business parts of beauty that trade publications typically cover. So yeah, that was very long winded. No, that's (laughs) great. I love to hear that story. And so I'm so curious, what do you feel is the thing inside of you that drives you? Is it curiosity? Or like, what is it that drives you to tell stories like other people's stories? Is there something deeper? Is it just that you like to write? Is it like the category? What is that thing that really kind of excites you about doing what you do? I think it's definitely the category of beauty. Like, In retrospect, like I mentioned, I was always interested in fashion. I had tunnel vision for fashion. That's what I wanted to do. But in retrospect, beauty, I think, is a lot more inclusive. I think it's a lot more nuanced, too. Like, it's not just about, you know, a mascara, whether a mascara works. It's also about cosmetics. It's about skincare. It's about, especially recently, with wellness and how that has expanded to sexual wellness and, you know, period products. And especially with the pandemic, people have realized that skincare has merged into self-care and is such a important part of people's daily routines. And science, there's the science part of beauty. There's the identity part of beauty. I think that also it's a lower barrier of entry, I think, for a lot of people who are interested in becoming founders and fitting out products. It's a lot easier to put out beauty products than, than fashion. fashion. Exactly. Like a whole fashion line. Yeah. 
Yeah. When people say they're in fashion, I'm like, I don't even know how you do that. Like, how do exactly. you, how do you get things made? You know, like I started making products myself because that's, you know, to your point, like I could make it in my house, but if you're going to start a clothing line, I don't know how people do that. I'm like so much respect <laughs> for people that start that. Exactly. To your point, we obviously only well, majority cover indie beauty brands. And I love the stories of founders where you're literally starting from your kitchen and building this product, like the Lisa Price from Carol's Daughter literally started in her kitchen in Brooklyn correct, and built this multi-million dollar company. So I love hearing people's stories and how they're going about filling these different white spaces that maybe these bigger conglomerates like L'Oreal's and the P&G's of the world aren't doing or aren't even paying attention to and how they're catering to their different communities in that way, because one, they're part of that community and they know what they are looking for and what they want and what they're needing. Totally. And you've been in the game for a while. So how have you seen, I guess, I don't want to, you know, representation is an overused word right now, but how have you seen the landscape change in beauty? I mean, you're really focused on indie beauty, which I think is really where you kind of like the pulse of like the future, right? This is what's happening now. This is what's relevant now. And so how have you seen that change? Even like in the last five years, I feel like I'm trying to keep up because I feel like things move so quickly. Yeah. So I'd love to hear like from your end, because you hear way more stories than I do. I'm like in my own bubble, right? <laughs> in my own founder bubble. But what are some of the things that you're seeing? I think the biggest shift even in the past like two years has been social media. Well, Gen Z specifically, I feel like they are calling a lot of the shots um, mm. in terms of like who is getting their attention and who is holding their attention. Um, I think their priorities are different in that they're not only interested in if a product works, but they want it to be accessible. It has to have inclusive messaging. They want brands to be transparent about sustainability? Where are they getting their ingredients? What are they doing with their packaging? How are they improving that over time? Like obviously sustainability is such a tricky topic, but are you being honest about your shortcomings and the efforts that you are making along the way? So I feel like they are holding a lot of brands feet to the fire Mm -hmm. rather than kind of just accepting what's being given to them. And I think that that's really refreshing and new and is specifically coming from them. Right. And do you feel like that is a trend right now or like that is the future? Because I still see, here's like another buzzword is like authenticity, right? Is Mm -hmm. it used to be that companies like conglomerates, like some of the ones you named, like they could be culturally appropriating and people could get away with it back in the day. And I feel like no longer people want to know like who is behind this brand or at least I hope, right? I feel like, yeah. you know, I'm a very transparent founder. Not all founders are forward facing. They're not everyone's on their Instagram. Sure. You never hear from the founders of companies like Necessaire. Like you don't see their faces in their Instagram or on their website necessarily. They don't engage in the community in the same way that other founders might. You know, I'm not trying to say that that's bad or good. It's just like a an observation. But in terms of just authenticity, founder authenticity, brand authenticity. Is that something that you think is also part of what Gen Z is caring about right now, aside from the sustainability and, you know, all of that? I think so. I think that to your point, they like to see who is behind the brand. You asked if it's a trend or if it's going to continue that I'm not sure. I hope it will continue. I hope that they continue holding brands accountable for I guess their shortcomings are, I'm not sure, but 
yes, I think that Gen Z does like to see who is behind their products. I think that want to say they like to support BIPOC founders. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my thinking, but I'm not Gen Z, so I don't. I'm so not Gen Z. I'm like two yeah. generations behind. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I feel like for me personally, I like to know where my money is going. Mm-hmm. And I like to know that I'm supporting a brand whose beliefs align with mine. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's just like I'm supporting this founder, one, because I think their product's really good, but two, because they look like me and because I want to Mm-hmm. circulate the dollar within mm. my community or within communities that are underrepresented and are not usually receiving those dollars. Right. And you mentioned something that made me think of another question about just founders of color and the standards that we're held to. I have found, and this is my perspective and I'd love to hear yours, that founders of color, especially like women of color, especially black women are held to these higher standards that I don't see other white founders being held to. So for example, you know, like one of my favorite founders is Beatrice Dixon from the Honeypot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when she makes an ingredient change, the internet goes crazy and comes after her throat and she has to post an apology and it's a whole thing. And I don't see that happening to white founders. And I would just love to hear your opinion because again, you get to hear the founder stories and you're in that world more than I am. And so do you feel like that's an accurate statement? Are founders of color being held to different standards? And I just feel like it's so pressurized um, because it's kind of like the Michelle Obama syndrome. It's like not one hair out of place. Like you cannot make a mistake because everything is on you to represent. And so therefore you can't mess up. Do you know what I mean? And we'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I definitely think that they're held to higher standards. I mean, there's always the saying that I'm sure a lot of Black women have been told, and I was told as a child, is that you have to be twice as good and Mm -hmm. you often get half as much um, as, you know, your white counterpart. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's true. I think that's that's true in any industry, really. I do think that beauty is specialized and even like going back to like why it's a little bit better than fashion. But Mm -hmm. I think that there's more of a space for Black women because Black women love beauty. Mm -hmm. I think that even when like hair care, skincare, look at Mm-hmm. Rihanna with Fenty Beauty, like we're able to come into these places and recognize these white spaces mm-hmm. and fill them. And at the same time, build these really loyal audiences mm-hmm. because black women are so dedicated to beauty. Mm-hmm. But 100%, I think that the standard is a lot higher. Even you mentioned Beatrice. And I remember when there were controversies around her changing the formulas and then there were rumors that she was going to sell mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that. And Neil Organics recently sold. And yep. there was a big, big, big debate, Mm -hmm. a lot of conversations around that in the black community specifically about, you know, them selling out or, you know, them selling out and then them not catering to the audience that built them up and allowed them to sell Mm -hmm. to their point. But yeah, I think it's just a lot of trust issues, right? Like there haven't been a lot of black brands that have Mm -hmm. sold. And the two examples that come to mind first for me are Carol's daughter and Shea Moisture, and they were embroiled in their own controversies around changing formulas and then changing their marketing so that they can be more inclusive, bring in different audiences. And I think that that left a really bad taste in a lot of Black women's mouths, and they haven't forgotten about that. And that's another 
like being held to a different standard within your own community because it's like you want to cater to your community but you don't want to feel like you're deserting them Mm -hmm. by selling yeah and it's such a complicated topic but I think what is important to remember is that and I've heard this from so many founders is that being an entrepreneur is really, really hard. Yes. And not everyone wants to do it forever. Hello. A lot of, a <laughs> lot of, a lot of these founders are building their companies to sell it eventually. Mm-hmm. And that is how a lot of Black people can accrue generational wealth. Yes. That's how that they can, you know, get to that next level. Yeah. There aren't that many avenues for us to be able to do that outside of like investing or, Mm -hmm. you know, being a celebrity or Mm -hmm. being like an athlete. This is one of the very few industries where there is a chance for Black people to build that generational wealth, but also like be able to give back to their community down the line. Like if you look at Richelieu from Shea Moisture, he has new voices investment. Yes. Investment company now. And he is investing back into Black owned businesses. There is a way to, sell your company, but also still help the community in the process. And I think that that is, you know, one of the standards that Black people are held to, even within our own communities. Yes. Yes. There's a whole TED Talk here, right? (laughs) On this topic and 100% running your company forever, right? People want us to have like these family businesses, right? And it's this fear that somehow if we sell, we've sold out and now we're just participating and we're giving our companies over to dominant culture again, and we're no longer owners. But again, the business can be a vehicle to exit to amass money to then be able to feed it back into the community. And that is super valuable, you know, because yes, to your point, being a founder and running a business is really exhausting. There's no days off, you know, even when you're not working, you're working in your mind. Like I'm supposed to be off today, but I'm totally emailing and like doing things, you know, doing Um, this podcast, I'm doing this podcast. (laughs) Um, It's tricky. It's a tricky balance and nobody wants to be accused of betraying their community of this concept of selling out, which what does that even really mean ultimately? But yeah, I think it's fascinating. And when I see these founders going through it and, you know, the community coming after their throat, like Beatrice or, you know, Shea Moisture, as you said, they went through it too. There's all sorts of Reddit threads about how people feel betrayed. The formula's changed. It's no longer for my hair, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with Carol's daughter. And I saw Lisa Price speak and she spoke about this, how the day that she sold, people accused her of all of these things as well. And It devastates me because people don't understand how hard it is to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And we also need women of color to exit to show that this is possible, that wealth can also belong to us, like that we can also participate in this, you know, and that we don't have to working yourself to the ground till the day you die and passing your business on to your children is not the only way. It's not the only path forward. So thank you for touching on that. And I would now kind of changing gears, I would love to know, going back to Taylor Bryant, like if you were not a writer, what would you be? What would you be doing? Oh, I don't know. That's a really, (laughs) that's a really good question. I mean, in a different life, I would love to be, this is so random, but I love the slow life that it seems like a librarian leads. Yes. I like So a lot of my family are teachers. Mm. I come from a very like teaching heavy family. 
And that would be something that I'm interested in, but I just don't think I have the patience for mm-hmm. that, doing that every day. Like, God bless the teachers. They are super, Word. super women, super men. Just, they deserve it all. Give them a raise. They need a raise. Exactly. <laughs> give them a raise. Give them more days off. Give them everything that they're asking for. I personally just don't think I have the patience for that. But what I feel like I could do is be a librarian within a school. So you still have the access to the students and you're still teaching them in some capacity, but you kind of don't have to like make a lesson plan every day and do all of that. And when I was freelancing, I did a lot of writing for Goodreads. And I, when I was at Nylon, I did a lot of writing about books. And that's always been something. Those have been like my most interesting stories to me. So books have always just been like a real passion of mine. And I like the idea of giving back to my community and helping out in that way. So yeah, I guess librarian. I love it. For me, (laughs) like in a different life, I would be a break dancer. (laughs) Oh, that's so much more interesting. (laughs) Can you tell me what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? Mm. Probably about my mom, which is to like to take every meeting, do every interview, even if you're not interested in the job that they're looking to hire for, because you never know what might come from that one interview. Yeah. And I've taken that with me from like my days of interning to today. So next question, describe your perfect day. Oh, describe my perfect day. Okay. No alarm. Hmm. Wake up at my leisure read a little in bed, maybe go to workout class around one, like not early, something that's like very, maybe not a lot of people are in that class, like a little chiller, go out to lunch with a friend, go home, take a shower, maybe go for a walk in the park near my apartment, and then settle in for the night, order some sushi, have a glass of wine and binge watch some really trashy reality TV show. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I actually, I have to ask, what is your favorite trashy TV? Uh, okay. Most things on Bravo. So during the pandemic, I started a habit of rewatching or not even rewatching, but watching housewives from the beginning. So I watched Orange County, Atlanta, which one? Not Orange County. I haven't gone to Orange County yet, but I watched Atlanta. I watched Potomac. I watched Beverly Hills. I'm finishing up New York. And then I think I'm going to move on to New Jersey, which is interesting because I'm from New Jersey. I, everyone was like, oh, you should have started with New Jersey. Yes, yes. yes. Save the best for last. <laughs> exactly. I feel like I'm saving the best for last. But also Vanderpump rules. I've started that from the beginning, just in light of the whole controversy, scandal controversy has piqued my interest in them again. So I've watched that from the beginning. Yeah. Very trashy, very, very, so interesting. Like early 2000s TV is such a different era. Right. Totally. Okay, great. Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? (laughs) Oh, um, in terms of my journalism work, I want to be remembered for which I think is what I'm doing is like highlighting and spotlighting BIPOC founders, the white spaces that they're filling, the struggles that they're facing, the help that they're needing and being able to uplift them and give them a voice on our little scrappy website. (laughs) I love it. Well, I definitely appreciate you and what you're doing because beauty independent, and I share this with Rachel too, 
is the publication that really launched my brand because she did a cover story for me on my actual launch day, November 2nd, 2020, that attracted all sorts of people to me. Like that's how I met my, who's now my VP of sales. She saw the Beauty Independent article, Mm. uh, retailers, investors. So it might be scrappy to some, but to me, it's like the best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always love when people praise us, I guess, or like, oh, I love Beauty Independent because it just, from the inside, I guess it doesn't feel like we're necessarily making a difference when you're like churning out these stories. But I love hearing that kind of feedback. And shout out to Rachel. Rachel's the best. She has just such an eye and is such a, a fountain of wisdom and just insight. So she's the best. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Remember to leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening from. Spread the word so we can impact and grow the community. If you are an entrepreneur looking for more real talk and resources, you can join my entrepreneurial newsletter from my personal website, sandralilavelasquez.com. But also visit nopalera.co to pick up your favorite self-care items for yourself and your loved ones. Join the Nopaleta mailing list to be the first to hear about new products, exclusive promos. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at nopaleta.co. Stay resilient.